Hi everyone, welcome to Spanglish from Friends. At the end of the podcast, do not forget to add yourself, share and visit us on Facebook at the group English with Yola with a Y. Today, we are going to continue reading the book Becoming from Michelle Obama, chapter 9, page 126. Susan's choices sometimes seem like an affront to my way of doing things, a vote in favor of easing up and striving less. I can say now that I judge her unfairly for them. At the time, though, I just thought I was right. Not long after I had started dating Barack, I called Suzanne to gush about my feelings for him. She had been thrilled to hear me so happy, happiness being her currency. She also had news for her own. She was ditching her job as a computer specialist at the Federal Reserve and going traveling, not for weeks, but for months. Susan and her mom were soon to head off in some round-the-world style adventure. Because why not? I could never guess whether Susan knew unconsciously that something strange was happening in the cells of her body, that a silent hijacking was already underway. What I did know was that during the fall of 1989, while I wore patent leather pumps and sat through long blue conference room meetings at Sydney, Susan and her mother were trying not to spill curry on their sundresses in Cambodia and dancing at dawn on the grand walkways of the Taj Mahal. As I balanced my checkbook, picked off my dry cleaning, and watched the leaves wither a drop from the trees along Oakley Avenue, Susan was carrying through hot, humid, banquet in a tuk-tuk, hiding as I imagined it, with joy. I don't, page 127, in fact, what any other of her travels looked like or where she actually went because she was one to, she was not the one to send postcards or keep in touch. She was too busy leaving, stuffing herself full of what the world had to give. By the time she got home to Maryland, and found a moment to reach out to me, the news was different. So clanking and dissonant from my image of her that I could hardly take it in. I have cancer, Susan told me, her voice husky with emotion, a lot of it. Her doctors had just diagnosed an aggressive form of lymphoma, already ravaging her organs. She described a plan for treatment, 
taking some hope to what the results could be. But I was too overwhelmed to note the details. Before hanging up, she told me that in a cruel twist of fate, her mother had fallen gravely ill as well. I'm not sure that I ever believed that life was fair, but I had always thought that you could work your way out or just about any problem. Susan's cancer was the first real challenge to that notion, a sabotage of my ideals because even if I didn't have the specifics nailed down yet, I did have ideas about the future. I had that agenda I had been assiduously maintaining since freshman year of college, steaming from the neat line of boxes I was meant to check. For me, in Suzanne, it was supposed to go like this. We would be the maids of honor at each other's weddings. Our husbands will be really, really different, of course, but they would like each other a lot anyway. We would have babies at the same time take family beach trips to Jamaica, remain madly critical of each other's parenting techniques, and be favorite fun aunties to each other's kids as they grew. I would get her kids books for their birthdays. She would get mine pogo sticks. We would laugh and share secrets and roll our eyes at what we perceive as the other person's ridiculous I just sign crazies until one day we would realize we were two old ladies who would be best friends forever. Flumoxed suddenly by where the time had gone. That, for me, was the world as it should be. What I find remarkable in hindsight is how, over the course of that winter and spring, I just did my job. I was a lawyer in page 128, and lawyers worked. We worked all the time. We were only as good as the hours we built. There was no choice, I told myself. The work was important, I told myself. And so I kept showing up every morning in downtown Chicago at the corporate and mount known as One First National Plaza. I put my head down and built my hours. Back in Maryland, Susan was living with her disease. She was coping with medical appointments and surgeries, 
and at the same time trying to care for her mother, who was also fighting an aggressive cancer that was. The doctors insisted completely unrelated to Suzanne's. It was bad luck, bad fortune, freakish to the point of being too scary to contemplate. The rest of Susan's family was not particularly close-knit, except for two of her favorite female cousins who helped her out as much as they could. Angela dropped down from New Jersey to visit sometimes, but she was juggling both a total and a job. I enlisted Verna, my law school friend, to go by when she could, as a sort of proxy for me. Verna had met Susan a couple of times while we were at Harvard, and by sheer coincidence was now living in Silver Spring, in a building just across the parking lot from Susan's. It was a lot to ask of Verna, who recently lost her father and was wrestling with her own grief. But she was a true friend, a compassionate person. She found my office one day in May to relate the details of a visit. I combed her hair, she said. That Susan needed to have her hair combed should have told me everything, but I would walk myself off from the truth. Some part of me still insisted this wasn't happening. I held on to the idea that Susan's hell would turn around, even as the evidence against it stacked up. It was Angela, finally, who called me in June and got right to the point. If you're going to count, Mish, she said, you would better get to it. By then, Susan had been moved to a hospital. She was too weak to talk, sleeping in and out of consciousness. There was nothing left to feed my denial. I hung up the phone and bought a plane ticket. I flew east, coughed a taxi to the hospital, took the elevator to the right floor, walked the hallway to her room, and found her there, lying in bed as Angela and her cousin watched over her. Everyone silent. Susan's mother, it turned out, had died just a few days earlier. And now Susan was in a coma. Angela made room for me to perch on the side of her bed. I started hard at Susan, at her perfect heart face and reddish brown skin, feeling comforted somehow by the joyful smoothness of her cheeks and the girlish curve in her lips. Okay, this is everything for today.
Have a great day everyone and we we'll see you tomorrow to continue reading this wonderful book.